Welcome to Still Unbelievable, a podcast by Reason Press, where we examine religious claims, especially those made by Christians, and we regularly respond to items that are featured on the podcast, Unbelievable. We embrace dialogue, but as sceptical former believers, we will also criticise unfounded claims and unsupported beliefs. Hello everybody. Regular threesome Matthew at the helm with Andrew and Darren providing all the heavy punches. So it is round five of the Alpha Review series. So we're going to go for the last three episodes of Alpha. So that's nine, 10, and 11. So it's the final bit about healing. And then there's there's about evangelizing and going to church. So those are the three weeks that we're going to handle tonight. So this will be the last in our alpha series in terms of our formal analysis of the alpha videos and the alpha groups so just a quick note to listeners i haven't quite decided yet so this will very much depend on the feedback that we get whether or not we're actually going to do a general alpha review episode i've had these two talking to me quite a lot on alpha so i don't know if i really want to push that onto them so general question out to the listeners to the audience do you want a generalized alpha review and critically would you like to come on and talk to us about it have a couple more voices talking about alpha have you been on an alpha do you agree disagree with some of the points that we've made are there things we've not covered that you think we should have covered are there things that we've covered but we haven't covered them in the way that you would like us to have covered any kind of feedback if you would like to come on to have a general conversation about alpha and uh, our review and your experiences of listening or your or share some of your experiences of being on alpha now's that opportunity reasonpress at gmail.com get in touch send us your feedback and i'll work out from that feedback what we'll do about uh, an alpha review the only other thing about alpha is and i flagged this up right at the beginning as well is we have been asked to do something about youth alpha I still haven't decided how I'm going to do that. When this is done and I've edited this, I'll then make the decision about what I'm going to do about Youth Alpha and we'll do something about that. So that is potentially still coming, but I will make an announcement on an appropriate episode about that. So Darren, Andrew, or Andrew, Darren, got to keep you guys in your proper hierarchy. Here we go. Week nine of Alpha. This is about healing. Does God or today how does god heal today what do we need to do to access the healing that is available to us those who listened to our last episode where we talked about uh, the gifts of the holy spirit probably won't be surprised by what we're about to say but andrew you had some thoughts you had some things that you wanted to say do you want to kick us off sure so i'll start with one of the really big questions that occurs in my life, I'll ask the specific form of the question first and then ask the listeners not to focus on it so much, but to generalize the question. That question evolved from a conversation with my father-in-law. So we were talking about healing. He's a Pentecostal preacher, I think I've mentioned uh, in the past. And he doesn't claim to be able to faith heal himself, but we do have other people in the family, at least four who claim to be able to do faith healing. And I pointed out to him again recently that I'm the perfect candidate for faith healing. I've got a prosthetic eye and getting that miracle done would be quite convincing. And he, in essence, blamed me for it. He said, right, but you're an atheist and God won't heal atheists. 
Well, hang on a minute. He didn't heal you when you were a believing child because you're an atheist now. We didn't talk about those cases this time around that, that I'd been to a faith healer in the past. Um, I was pointing out in this most recent conversation that we have faith healers all over our extended family. And uh, so he blamed me. I didn't turn back to the uh, faith healing attempts in the past by my parents. But that question, that assessment of blame, that laying of blame on me, came home in a came home in a way that I didn't quite expect when I was re-watching Alpha 9, week 9, which is the, the healing week, right? Nikki starts to talk about, in one of the segments, they have a friend who has suffered kidney failure in the past and has been on dialysis for something like 25 years. And Nikki went on to say, that this person, while not having been healed themselves, is a real believer in faith healing, prays for faith healing for more people than anybody else in the church, blah, blah, blah. So the first question I asked myself was, if a Christian doesn't get healed, and I as an atheist don't get healed, am I to blame more than he is? Is he to blame more than I am? Is God to blame, right? But the more important question is actually the general form of the question. If any two people ask for healing, and neither of them get healed, who is to blame and why? So in this case, we've got an atheist and a Christian, but shouldn't we ask the question, why is there a case where any two people ask and seem to be deserving? Why none of them get healed? And, and that, of course, leads to the question that we will ask uh, almost guaranteed after this, and that is, why does God choose to heal anyone and how do we know? But I do think it's instructive to point out that there are all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And some Christians don't get it and some do. Uh, apparently, occasionally, atheists get it. And some don't. What is the rhyme and reason? And who is to be vindicated in belief and who is to be blamed? That is the question. How is it that a Christian doesn't get healed? And if a Christian doesn't, is God to blame or is the Christian to blame? That's a really good question. And I probably mentioned this multiple times before in my Christian past. I was involved in a prayer for healing team. I can't remember how many years I was involved in that and in the church that I was involved in. And we did courses because you can get them on how to do healing. And actually, I'm just going to do a quick bullet point there. At the beginning of this episode, there was a, a flag up for John Wimber's book, Power Evangelism. And John Wimber comes up several times during the, the video for this. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it's John Wimber, but there's also a book called Power Healing. And I'm pretty sure that it's John Wimber who wrote that book as well. And that was the book that the church group that I was a part of in Prayer for Healing used uh, as a study book for how to pray and how to pray for people to receive healing. There are many reasons why people would not receive healing. And one of the options of excuses, because if somebody doesn't receive healing, there isn't a tick box to go through in order for you to identify what the problem is. Mm. We can just know that if, somebody, if you pray for somebody, whether it be a headache or deaf in one ear or whatever else it might be, there is no standardized way and there is no realistic way in which you can identify which of the many things it is that stop them from being healed that's just information that's not accessible but one of the options is very definitely them you know lack of faith is an option for somebody not being healed when you pray for them and that can be your lack of faith or it could be their lack of faith 
So you could go in there absolutely full of confidence, absolutely convinced that God wants to heal them, absolutely rampacked full to the rafters with all the faith that it is possible to manage and pray the absolute perfect prayer. But if they don't have the faith, it won't happen. And that gives you the perfect get out of it not happening. It does. Yeah, that's right. And there's there's the old fallback. So one of our friends, Dale Glover, often will say that, or I think he would defend the ground and has in the past, that some kinds of requested miracles don't succeed because God has different plans. Mm-hmm. And I think it all begins to feel a little bit like a dodge because I'm not aware of being able to identify a causal mechanism for claimed healing anyway. Uh, and I think, Darren, if, if, I, if I channel you properly, that might be the thing you would say is fine, let's say we have a miracle, how do we know? I mean, that's the big question, right? I mean, if you're, if someone heals, are they healing because you cast a magic spell at them or are they healed because the body is inherently able to heal itself? Right. And there, there are some categories of spontaneous healing and miracle that just don't seem to occur. Uh, limb regrowing, we just don't have that. Right. We, we just don't have uh, we just don't have quadriplegics that grow arms and legs. Right. And so there seem to be certain kinds of healing miracles that just don't occur. And shouldn't that make us question all of our claims and thoughts about miracles? But I do want to know how it is possible for a Christian not to receive a healing miracle and still have another Christian defend the ground that that person is faithful. Right. Because if you can blame a person for not being healed, like my father-in-law blamed me. Right. If you can blame me for not being healed and some Christian makes a request for healing and isn't healed. Shouldn't the get out there be there's something wrong with their God walk? I think that's a perfectly valid question. And I think the difficulty with the reasons why people don't get healed is that. not specific enough and there's no way of identifying the reason so you can make up whichever reason you want whichever fits your circumstances and nobody can validate it and that what that also then means is that the christian can be slopey shouldered over it and say well it definitely can't be god because it could be one of these other issues and it's a really good way of expunging God of any and all responsibility he has in this situation. That's a good thing to explore. What is God's responsibility in healing? It seems to me, and I'd be interested if someone else feels differently, especially a Christian, I'd be interested in a counter-apologetic here. It seems to me that if God can wind the gears of the universe in any particular way that he wants, he should be able to wind the gears such that any faithful Christian that asks for a healing should receive one. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't understand, except for the case where it's just the person's fault. There's something wrong with their God walk. There's, uh, you know, they're they're skeptics. They're uh, they're double agents for the other side. They have the wrong religion, whatever it is. It seems to me that if God can wind the gears of the universe in any way that he wants, and he can do any miracles that he wants, right? Then he should be able to wind the gears of the universe in such a way that all faithful Christians that need healing get them. 
Yeah. I guess it depends on what his personality is and motivation. I think that's because uh, if he's if he's actually loving like uh, the Christians claim he is, then I'm not sure that it would matter whether the person was Christian or not. And of course, if he was actually loving the way the Christians claim that he is, then why would injury or disease even exist in the first place? I mean, wouldn't he, since he's the creator of the universe and everything in it, wouldn't that indicate that he created injury and disease in the first place? And if he did that, then, and you've got it, then isn't that sort of what he wants because he's the one that created it? So why would he heal it? Right. So that puts us squarely back into one of the things that draws so many people out of Christianity and magical thinking. And that's the problem of suffering, right? It's a real issue. Suffering is a real problem. And for me, week nine didn't solve the problem of sin and suffering. Yeah, I'm not even sure the Christians believe this story, to be honest. I mean, there's this weird thing with humanity where we will think we believe something, but when it actually comes to our actions and what we expect to happen based on those beliefs, somehow we know that the beliefs are not accurate, so we have to make excuses for them. And I think week nine sort of demonstrates this, because when they are talking about healing, they recognize that not everyone's going to be healed, and they give God credit for creating medicines, so they know that it's the medicines that are actually going to be healing people, not the prayers. Because if a Christian starts choking on something, and they're given a choice between having a Heimlich maneuver or someone praying over them, you will never, ever, ever be able to get a Christian to say they would rather have someone pray over them than get the Heimlich maneuver. Now, you may get them to say that they want both, but you're never, ever able to get one to say that they want praying over the Heimlich maneuver. Same thing sort of happens here, where they claim that medicine is how God is healing you. All the work that uh, scientists have put into discovering this medicine is God's gift to us, but somehow God never actually just provided the answers or didn't make the disease in the first place. And That was... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I thought that that was hugely frustrating for me during listening to uh, the video again this time around. Uh, I don't remember which Alpha team member said it, but one of the regulars said, uh, all healing ultimately comes from God. And they, they made this case about natural healing versus supernatural healing and whether you're healed in a hospital or, or whether God heals you directly. All healing ultimately comes from God. And when you set up that kind of thinking, what you're really creating is an unfalsifiable claim. Mm-hmm. And... So I was just coming alongside and agreeing with, with where you were. That is, I was frustrated by uh, by that kind of reasoning. Yeah, and I think some of them actively know what they're doing because they had Father Raniero on the show, and apparently he's the Pope's personal preacher. And one of the things that he said was, nowadays, of course, with medicine, science comes to help in many, many respects, and this is also a way for God to come to our help. But nevertheless, people need prayer because there are many situations where medicine has nothing to say, and we are supposed to give hope to these people in any situation. So for him, it wasn't even that the prayers were healing. It was just that they were to give the person hope that they would be healed. Right. 
It was at that point in the video, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my notes and I was chuckling. I'm sorry if that comes across on the soundtrack, but uh, I was chuckling because when that part of the video was going on, I wrote down, uh, what does God need with a starship? So uh, it's Star Trek V. You've got Kirk and the Enterprise and the whole crew, and they've flown off somewhere in the universe, and there's this being that claims to be God, but he wants to get out of wherever he is. And Kirk asks him, "What does you know? if you're God, what do you need with a starship? Well, surely the same question applies here. If you're God, why do you need human medicine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Why, why, why do you need human medicine? Why, why do we need to do anything at all? Uh, I'm going to chuckle a little bit of um, uh, juicy irony on this. One of the things that we've seen come our way from Christians, certainly on the subject of morality, is, oh, you atheists, you're materialists, you're just borrowing all the good stuff out of Christianity in terms of the way you live, etc. Well, this is an example of the other in reverse, Christians are borrowing from the benefits of materialism and saying God did it. Oh, yeah. they yeah. For some reason, Christians feel the need to take credit for absolutely everything, from hospitals to healing to billions of hours of human labor, absolutely everything. Are either of you frustrated when you hear someone go to the hospital, either for some emergency care or uh, you know for something more planned, and they come out? And they say, thank God for whatever the episode, thank God for me being healed, whatever the episode was, right? Some heart attack or a broken bone or, or whatever. And fail to mention the doctors, nurses, hospital administrators, scientists, researchers, the whole panoply of uh, people involved in that care. And I get, I get frustrated by that. And I'm wondering if either of you do. Yeah. In short. I mean, I don't get frustrated. I mean, it's okay if people say, oh, thank God that happened, because I know they're just using it as an expression. Sure. But there are plenty of cases, and we saw some of these as examples uh, in the video itself, is something happened that is, if we delve deep enough, is clearly explainable through the medical knowledge that we have, or it's along the edge of that where we know that this kind of thing happens, even if we don't know into the minute every detail of why it happens. But it's this kind of thing, borderline edge of medical knowledge kind of stuff, but definitely not stuff that we know is absolutely impossible. So it's in that gray area. And God is getting all the glory when we know that our medical knowledge and our medical staff have got really good equipment at the hands. They've got really good drugs at the hands and they've got people who are really skilled in knowing what kind of things require what kind of drugs and sometimes these things are a little bit borderline so not everybody gets the perfect result but most of the time they do all right and you know this is a lot of very hard work by a lot of dedicated people they need the, and they deserve the praise for this stuff that they do yeah it's, it's as if christians I don't know that I'm right about this. Maybe maybe one of you will want to challenge it. But it seems to me a misunderstanding of causation that often goes along here. It's, it's as if Christians think that every act of healing that might be attributed to strictly human causation is nothing but correlation because God is actually the one that is providing the impetus whether we're getting involved or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we're better reasoners than that when we're trying to think through 
problems and we're not giving some special pole position to, uh, to Christianity. If you have cancer and you take radiological treatment and the cancer goes away and someone else doesn't take a radiological treatment and the cancer doesn't go away, we seem to know in a causal way what the cure is and there's no room for God in that sort of natural healing. At least that's my view, and I have no idea what a supernatural healing is, because how do we assess how God did the trick, right? So I think that's a really key question, that about you know, how do we assess that God does the trick? And while you were talking about that, I was immediately thinking about the specific example from the video about the, the woman with fungal meningitis, and I think that is a really Mm-hmm. is a really interesting one to talk about and I think it plays on the point that I think you were just about to make so what was so I remember but the listeners should probably be brought up to speed there do you want to describe the background there fungal meningitis right. is where you get um, basically a fungal growth in your brain and it can be really quite serious although what I briefly read about it this evening it didn't give me any information about death prognosis on it but certainly mm recovery from it can be quite long it's basically just take some some antifungal drugs so it's not a complicated recovery but because of where it is you could be taking these drugs for a number of years so yeah, the brief story that the, the two years for her yes yeah. she and that's probably a normal expectation to hand to people and it you either get a worse prognosis and you take them longer or you actually do all right and so you take them quite shorter so it sounds to me that the kind of standard, okay, or probably expect two years. That's probably the standard thing that you're told. I'm, I'm guessing here, if you're medically trained, you know about this, feel free to write in and uh, correct me on this. But my expectation is that this is the kind of situation that they give you anyway, so that they set an expectation. And then whatever happens for real will get measured against that expectation. And if it's shorter, boom, you're on, you're on for a win. So the story is that the doctor comes in after this lady's had some prayer and they've done her scan and it's magically disappeared and there's none of it there at all. And I think that's when I started to wonder, am I hearing all of this story? Do I really know what went on here? Does this lady who's telling this story firsthand really know exactly what went on here? And this is where I'm going to get accused of being hyper-skeptical and I've had this accusation thrown at me before. But when you've got the individual involved telling their side of the story firsthand and given the context in which this video is, their motivation for telling this story, this version of their story, is to assign the credit of her miraculous healing to God. So this is the context. So the story, of course, we're going to have the miraculous part of this story emphasized more. That's just the way we are. It's a narrative to get to a point. So you're going to make it sound more impressive than possibly it really was. So that's where my mind's going on that. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not directly accusing her of lying or fabrication, but that's the impression I get hearing her telling the first side of the story. Because notice we didn't have a doctor telling his side of the story here we didn't have any medical details we didn't have a picture of the scan all of those real meaty details those things that would really really help we just have the recipient's version of their version of events yeah the way she was telling it it almost sounded to me like she had was misdiagnosed to begin with the doctor had uh, laid out 
the all this stuff, what she needs to prepare for. And then when she took the MRI to confirm that it was actually there, it didn't show up on the MRI. But the MRI was done after they did all the prayer stuff. So that's sort of what I took away from it. But I agree. Oh, I see. All- so, yeah. So your thought was it was potentially they set her up for this is your symptoms match this, but we don't really know for sure. But this is what it could be. Prepare yourself. Right. And then because the way she described the doctor just sort of shrugging and well, part of the story was that when the MRI came back clean, she told the doctor, oh, it was a miracle from God and he healed me. And the doctor, she said the doctor just sort of shrugged and said, well, maybe. And it sounded like to me that the doctor was just really glad that he wasn't going to be facing any malpractice suit or anything. There's another thing that bothers me about that kind of story. Um, And that is that these miracle healing stories often end with an idiot doctor. So, so here's, right, right, okay, so you, you, see, you see the problem too. It, it is as if the doctors just throw their hands up and say, oh, well, it was a miracle, and they walk away, and there's no medical doctor who ever says something like, you know what, you had a brain fungus, and it went away, and while we absolutely are not going to give you any in vitro fungus to create another brain fungus, we're not even going to study your body chemistry to see what happened. Yeah, it, it's as if these stories end in medical doctors who have no drive to try to understand what might have actually happened naturally. And that makes me incredibly skeptical. Yeah, what really does it for me is that we just don't live in a world where miracle healing actually happens. Because if it did, they would have a miracle healing wing of the hospital that they would wheel <laughs> everyone in. They would pray over them. And if the 1% or 2% it actually worked on was healed, then they would just send them home. But we right. don't have that. Right. You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. There was another story in the video. There's this little boy, 8, 9, 10 years old. I don't remember exactly, but early childhood. And he's a Down syndrome child. He's in the hospital. But he's not in the hospital because he's a Down syndrome child. He had some sort of some sort of heart issue. I don't remember exactly from. The I video. think it's common with Down syndrome that you can have a hole in the heart or something like that. So, Down mm. syndrome is associated with heart conditions anyway. Maybe not all of them, but certainly some of them. Right. So he's going through something that may have been typical to Down syndrome. And I'll just say that if the rest of this story is true, this is the reason I wouldn't worship the God being proposed anyway. Here's the story. This little boy, this Down syndrome boy, goes into the hospital for a a heart-related illness. And Nikki comes by in this case. He's sent, he's the assistant chaplain for the hospital, and he he was playing squash at the time, or racquetball or whatever, and uh, they call him off the court, and he runs to the hospital in his workout clothes, and the, uh, you know, and the lady Uh, doesn't even believe he's a chaplain because he comes in in his tennis shorts or whatever. And when she finally convinces him, he prays for the little boy. And a few days later, he sees this lady uh, by coincidence, and she runs up and hugs him and says, oh, his heart condition is healed. But God leaves the Down syndrome. Now, to rescue this story, what Nikki says on the video is, oh, and it's 25 years later, and, and this guy is the center of his family. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't tell the story that way and rescue that God did a half-assed job. Um, He went to all the trouble of giving the guy Down syndrome in the first place. Why would we want to take it away? 
Well, right. So see, this so is why you like, get called oh, the nasty Lord. one of the group, Darren. <laughs> so, so, well, no, look, look, I think it's a reasonable question, right? Because maybe God's, uh, you know, looking through his, uh, uh, looking through his mission log, and he and he's like matching up his records, and he sees this little boy, and he's got Down syndrome, and he's like, oh, and he's got a heart condition. Oh no, I didn't mean to give him that. I'll, you know, I'll line through that in the journal, and you know, now now he's okay in the magic book. So. Right. So if he gave him Down syndrome and he wants him to keep it, why didn't he want him to keep the heart problem? <laughs> Mysterious ways, man. Mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, well, I am certainly baffled. It seems mysterious to me. Did either of you sort of balk at, we get down toward the end of the video and uh, they're talking about healing prayer and Jesus healing and, and they say, and sometimes, you know, you, you have to, you might have to pray for somebody more than once. And, and they, you know, they trot out the, the story of the blind man and Jesus praying for him. And, and it sort of only half works, right? And he's, oh, I see now, but, you know, it looks like trees walking around and Jesus has to pray a second time. Right, because the blind person knew what trees and walking around were, what they looked like. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I thought, you know, what a half-assed savior. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the framer of the universe. This is the guy who, you know, he's there at the beginning. Uh, you know, he's, he's the John chapter one candidate, right? And he has to pray twice. What does that say? What sort of story are you trying to tell? Uh, you know, blindness is Jesus' kryptonite. I don't get it. I really don't get it. He didn't spit in any mud and rub it on. That's why I was still blind. Right. <laughs> Maybe what he was riding in an iron chariot or something. I mean, it's these kinds of things that cause me to recognize that this is just Bronze Age mythology. Maybe Iron Age mythology. Uh, well, no, uh, Bronze Age mythology. What were Christians trying to get you to believe when Jesus has to pray for a miracle twice? It's more than twice, because that was the other things that came out of this video was the amount of times you have to try, the amount of times you have to su supplant yourself. That's completely the wrong word. The number of times you have to prostrate yourself before God, begging for whatever it is that you want, before you might get some of it. It, it absolutely is a reinforcement of a subjugation relationship uh, between yeah. us mere humans and, and the great and glorious God. Well, they even have, I mean, and none of it was even required or necessary because they have this idea that once Jesus returns, it'll all disappear. So it's not like God can't do anything about it or, um, you know, it's one of those things that apparently God's going to inflict it on us for a certain set of time until Jesus decides to come back and take it all away. Yeah, that's the other thing about this whole prayer for things like this, is God doesn't need our prayer to achieve any of these things. So why do they only happen, apparently, for occasional prayers? You know, it really is It's this whole ad hoc nature of the delivery of this kind of stuff. And they're trying to fit in their ideas about what of a God with reality, and I just don't think the two fit. Yeah, yeah. the the world looks to me, uh, Darren. I, I think 
I think I agree with you entirely. Um, the world that we uh, that we experience is more parsimonious uh, with a world where things happen entirely naturally. Mm-hmm. There, there may be things that we can't explain, but our lack of explanation does not mean supernatural. And uh, a, a world where there's an all love, especially an all loving God, right? Um, that uh, that idea doesn't seem to me to be parsimonious with the with the world that we live in. Yeah, because it just it just creates too many new problems that they have to try to explain away. Yeah. Right. Now in the last episode, I subjected an experience of mine to um to to your fine brains to examine. I have actually got my own low-key healing story if you guys would like to subject it to your, your rigorous scrutiny and see if you can work out what actually happened. I want Darren to. <laughs> okay. So it rolls back to when I was in my early 20s, so between 20 and 24, that sort of age. It was my want as men of that age on a, on a weekday, on a weekend evening, to visit an establishment that sells beverages of a juicy nature. And I used to do a lot of cycling in those days, so I considered myself wildly athletic and so my uh, pet thing to do at the time was to jump up a flight of steps you know if I was going somewhere so imagine you're arriving at a going to a bar and outside the bar between the car park uh, and the the bar entrance you've got a flight of about I don't know eight concrete steps and so being the uh, arrogant 20 something that I was I took a run up and I leapt up the entire flight of stairs in, in one bound we went in and we had our drinks. I think it was about nine shots each or something like that that we had. It was a, it was a relative, relatively a decent number. We came out and I said, hey, guys, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the leap again. <laughs> so, so I did, um, except I didn't. On the upbound, I caught the front of my, I can't even remember which foot it was now. I caught my toes on the on the leading lip of the bottom step. So when I did a leap, instead of springing <laughs> off the ground, I sprung off the edge of the bottom step. So as I so if you imagine the the leverage leverage, I put my toes on the lip of the bottom step and then pressed down hard. So I bent my ankle back and pushed it further back than it needed to, and didn't quite make the bound. And then walked home, and mm. um, I woke up the next morning in enormous pain uh, the next morning was a sunday morning i woke up in enormous pain i was lying there and every time i moved my leg there was enormous pain shooting up uh, my my ankle i lived on the third floor of a block of flats and when i eventually managed to pull the duvet off my leg and managed to look round, i noticed that one foot was a little bit bigger than it was supposed to be and completely the wrong color and so um Noticing that I wasn't at church, one of my friends decided to come round and see how I was. And uh, he walked into my flat, saw me lying in bed. And I said, I'm in pain. And he took my duvet off and said, right, I'm taking you to accident emergency right now. So bless him. He helped me get dressed. He then carried me down the stairs and uh, took me to the hospital and... I was seen to, I had an x-ray, I was bandaged up, given some crutches, 
taken back home again. I was home mid of the afternoon, something like that. Now, I used to cycle to work every day, and it was a, it was a couple of miles. It's not a not particularly onerous cycle, but I couldn't do that. And it certainly wasn't going to be a really, it wasn't, and it was too long to sensibly do on, on crutches. A friend of mine said that he would take me into work every day, and then somebody else would take me home. And I think it was about two weeks later, I had an appointment to see. Sorry, let me rewind. So the x-ray showed what I'd done was I'd pulled a ligament in my ankle and I pulled the ligament so hard that the, it actually pulled off the chunk of bone that it was attached to. And so on the x-ray, you saw the x-ray of the bone and then you saw a gap and then you saw another little bit of bone attached to the ligament. So it literally just pulled a, piece, a small piece of bone right out of the bone it was basically a game of patience i had to wait for the bone to regrow so that was that story obviously i was part of a church youth group at that time and i probably wasn't telling the story quite in the same way that i'm telling it now uh, people made quite a big thing of my foolishness having consumed alcohol but there was prayer for it as well obviously so about two weeks later i think i was due to see um, a physiotherapist and the physiotherapist manipulated the ankle, talked me through what I'd done, said, well, you seem to be all right. I don't really need to see you again unless you have any issues and sent me home. So I took that to be the answer to prayer at that moment. I thought, God has healed my ankle so well that the physiotherapist doesn't even want to see me again. And uh, I think within a week of that, I was back to cycling again and I was back to cycling to work. So that's my story of my miraculous healing. And I did quite genuinely attribute the rapidity of my healing to God at that age. Well, it obviously wasn't God. I mean, it was obviously the gremlins that did it. I mean, because God, yeah, God doesn't work with bone. So, you know, if it's going to be a healing of the bone and it's going to be fast, it has to be the gremlins. They're the only ones that work with bones. I bow to your superior logic. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious. Does it ever bother you now, that ankle? I think so. I can't remember which ankle it was, but one of my ankles is my right ankle. If I rotate it round, I can feel a clicking in the ankle, which I don't feel in the other one. It wasn't a miracle. It wasn't a healing. Here's why. It wasn't made good as new. Unless God is half-assing your ankle the same way he half-assed the, the child with Down syndrome, I would expect a God to be able to actually put things right damn gremlins always have it. <laughs> i think that's a valid point is it healing when it's within a time frame that is reasonable for your health and your mobility and is it healing when it's just good enough to get you by it doesn't seem like it to me so andrew you and i are both developers darren does develop on occasion but i don't know if he'd call himself a developer so all three of us have probably met a coding situation where there's something in code that's not quite working right and you need a fix quickly. Yep. And in order yep. to get the data through to the way that the people who are expecting it get it, you do a quick change in the code that will work for that situation, but you're fairly sure that another stress test and it will fail, but by then it won't be your problem anymore. Can all of us put our hands up and say we've either done a fix like that or we've come to code later in time and seen that a developer has done that kind of fix and we've cursed them to high heaven? 
Yeah. <laughs> Look, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. That's how I write code. Fly by night code, you know, bang that stuff in and hand it off. <laughs> yeah, I've been on both sides of my own code where that's happened. Yeah, look, where I've had um, to curse myself. Yeah. So not being tongue in cheek. One of the things that causes you to grow up as a developer is re-encountering your own code six months later. So you don't document. You know, you you half-ass some piece of code. Seems to be my favorite phrase for for this uh, for this show. Half-ass. Sorry, but because well, you know, you'll you, remember what you did. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have done that so many and, times. I never do a small change in code without putting in a comment with a date, my initials, why I'm doing it, and the number of the support ticket that I'm responding to. Right. Because you've first, grown up as a, as a developer. It's the first line that I write when I'm modifying code under those circumstances because yeah. I know in six months' time I'm going to be back there. Right. It's like trying to read your handwriting from five years ago or what. Well, yeah. Maybe you guys don't have that problem. I can't read my handwriting after it's 10 minutes old, and I'm sitting here trying right now. I'm looking at my notes. and <laughs> So it's one of those things that causes you to grow up as a developer. And, and yes, I have handed off. Uh, I've handed off code that I knew was bad and poorly documented. I've also handed off code that I knew was good but still poorly documented. And there's not a lot of difference, right? Because even if you write a really elegant piece of code and it's well-structured and attractive, so it's easy to read, right? You, 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 know, you followed all the PEP-8 rules or whatever guidelines you're following. It's still a mystery uh, without documentation. So yes, I've, I've done that in as many ways as, <laughs> as you can do it. And I'm sure there are people out in the world that are looking for me. And um so I'm not going to reveal the location on this podcast. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so the point I was driving at is in those, in our professional works of, of life, that or do is never acceptable. That's a really good point. That's a good point. You know what professional code looks like. Yeah. I live in a house that's a new build house. Okay. It was new build when I bought it. It's now eight years old. There are faults in it that bug me constantly from the day that I moved in because it wasn't built as well as it should have been. And they mm. bug me, but I got a house on time. I'd have rather have waited another two months and had a better house. That'll do is never good enough in any situation. Why is it good enough for God? That's a really good point because you can, you could ask the question, and should ask the question, God, just like you would of your builders, right? You'd say something like, why did you let this go, right? But when it's builders, they get criticized for flaws. Mm -hmm. And when it's God, it's a feature. Yep. Well, part of the problem might be that God will torture you for all eternity if you criticize him. So, <laughs> so I'm just sort of, uh, I'm just sort of hoping that like miracles, you know, you, you can blame me. That's, that's why I'm not healed right? And so I don't believe, and therefore God can't act on my behalf. I'm hoping hell works that way. I don't believe in him, so he can't. <laughs> I don't believe in him, so he can't send me there. Yeah, there's a, there's a cartoon that I uh, run across every once in a while. It's probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old by this point. And an atheist is uh, at the pearly gates, and God meets him. And the atheist is like, uh, I think I'm in the wrong place. 
And God says, oh, why is that? Well, because I'm an atheist. And God says, oh, no, I didn't give you guys reason and ability to think just so that I could reward people that believe things without any evidence. Come on, let's go find some women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I need to find that one, I think. Is there a bow to be put on this issue? I think we're in danger of repeating ourselves uh, on this. I think the audience knows the point that we've made here. I think we know what it is that we've said and much more we're going to be repeating ourselves really. I've done a whole episode in conversation with a Christian back in January this was actually talking about healing. We we talked about other examples of, of healing, other claims of healing. We talked them in quite a lot more detail. I am in the middle of editing that episode right now so that will probably appear in the, the feed on Still Unbelievable, but probably after you hear this one. So hang around and you'll be able to hear that and that conversation about miracles. It's probably quite timely. Uh, actually, I'm unconvinced. I've been there praying for people to be healed. I've been there praying for miracles. I've been there in prayer groups where people have been giving words of knowledge and talking about healing. I never saw anything that was a genuine healing. The closest I ever got to believing a genuine healing was the, my own experience that you've just heard me recite. And if that's the best that I can do for my personal experience in all of the years that I was a Christian, including being part of a team, then I, I just don't know what else to add really to the end of that. If you don't mind me taking another 30 or 40 seconds, I do want to circle back on something that I said so that I don't leave the wrong impression about your miracle story. I sort of indicated that it would not be a miracle if the ankle was giving you problems now. And, you know, somehow if it has a problem now, that definitely means it wasn't a miracle in the past. I'm not saying that if God does a miracle today, a body part can't fail for some other reason in the future. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. not what I'm saying. Right. And so I don't want to leave that impression. But what I am saying is without some other explicable cause, presuming that we've narrowed it down to the ankle that was injured. Right. And you said you don't remember which one. And I completely accept that in the absence of some other mechanical reason for the ankle to have a problem, you would sort of expect even wear or or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And so I'm not saying that it is impossible for a miracle to happen and some healing to take place and that part to fail later on. But I am saying that there's a parsimony issue here and it's one that we deserve to ask. So I just want to wrap that up in a way where I'm not overclaiming. Well, I think you're not really overclaiming there because healing prayer has been tested by the Templeton Foundation. Yes. And for those that don't know, the Templeton Foundation is a foundation that tries to prove Christian claims are true. And they, I'm actually impressed that they published the results because the results were not flattering at all. And it basically, the results were that prayer doesn't work. And they even had their control group that knew they were being pra- prayed for even did worse, which... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they gave a reason for it, but I've heard a lot of speculation that maybe it was just performance anxiety on the people being healed. I've heard that same speculation. I don't know if they'd say the same thing, but I am I am aware that that is true for prayer, that it doesn't appear to work on a statistically large basis. 
better than chance. And that's a hard thing to reconcile. Yeah, and there's another test. There's a um, pool somewhere by one of the churches in Italy or Rome or something like that that is supposed to be a healing pool. And oh, you talk about Lords in France. It's very maybe Catholic place. Yeah, it's definitely Catholic. And I remember reading that the chances of you being healed by dipping yourself in the pool is actually less than if you than random chance. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> So there ought to be room at some point to talk about, uh, we don't have time because we have two other episodes to get through, but there ought to be room to talk about how faith poisons the well. I don't know why people believe in the face of what seems to be pretty convincing evidence that healing miracles don't exist, right? There, there's so many people who will line up behind it and, and people who haven't experienced a healing miracle, like, like the guy that Nikki was talking about, you know, 25 years of dialysis and he's still praying for healing. At what point do you just stop playing blackjack? Cause you're not very good at it. Right. When you, when mm. you just, maybe that's maybe, okay. So not, a I think it's because example, of the but... cost. There's an implied cost. If you, cause I'm trying to think about, because I was embedded into this culture. I bought that he, people get healed i absolutely and i heard multiple stories of healing testimonies and i wasn't critical about the thinking of them i believed them all and if i'd heard the stories in this video you know 20 years ago i absolutely would have accepted every single one of them as a genuine occurrence of mm. healing and i think for some people i'm certainly not going to say it's true for everybody but i certainly think for some the implied cost of doubting those means taking some steps to away of potential the potentiality of taking some steps towards forfeiting your faith and i think for some people that possibility is such a very realistic fear that they have to at all costs avoid that and so you cannot and will not doubt this kind of story because doubting it takes you close to somewhere where you really are not prepared to go. Yeah, I wonder if it's because of like a fear of death or something. It, I mean, just from an outsider looking at it, it seems like most Christians are Christians because they want to live forever. And if they start picking away at the story, I wonder if that makes them start doubting this ability that they're going to be able to live forever. Yeah. I don't know. I'd love to love somebody who really has the right skills in this kind of thing to do um, a, a critical psychoanalysis examination of this kind of thing, because it would be really, really fascinating what conclusions yeah, they come to. I can only guess at what my motivations were. I'm suggesting that fear was one of them, but I don't know if that would be an accurate description of all my motivations at the time. And, and maybe it is, maybe the power of belief in God, certainly for somebody like myself who was indoctrinated into it as a young child and then grew it all the way through into their adult life, that was the only kind of life that I knew. So for me, believing that, oh, hardly the thought of questioning it was, was I, I just couldn't go there. And so it'd be interesting to know what it was that was challenging, that was not providing any challenge to me at that time. Because it was going to be a good few years later before I actually had the sufficient intellectual challenge that allowed me to question it. Yeah. 
Well, I'd definitely be interested in figuring out the psychology behind it. It absolutely would be fascinating. So before we move on from this episode, did you guys listen right to the end where there was words of knowledge, not too dissimilar to those that I listed out at the end of the last episode we recorded? Yeah, I looked at it, but like I already mentioned on the the last episode when we talked about it, I found the whole process rather dubious. Oh, I should put in a retraction from last episode. In this episode, they also called them words of knowledge and not words of power. Uh, I sort of harped on that in the last episode. I need to um, uh, just correct that for the record. There are people who talk about them differently. Words of knowledge, words of power, it didn't happen in this alpha episode. So I would like to uh, try an experiment with the two of you over that thing, though, over this words of knowledge. If I were to give me uh, give me the opportunity to pick three things, I'll, I'll say um, I'm channeling God here. Someone here, someone on this call, has recently suffered uh, with lower back trouble. Someone on this call has recently suffered uh, uh, with a shoulder pain. Someone on this call has recently suffered with lack of sleep. Do either. Well, well I told you I was had lack of sleep before we got started. So oh, that one's not of... fair, is it? Okay, let's let's throw that one out. Uh, but so, so to say, that was my word of knowledge. <laughs> That's how it comes around. Um, so maybe I should pick a third. Someone here is worried about a child. I no? don't know specifically about a child, but lower back pain. I've had sporadic lower back pain for for multiple years. I uh, carried a lawnmower over the top of a car, and the leverage of me holding the lawnmower put a bit of stress on on my back, and it pinged something, and my back's never been right since. And sometimes I, I suffer uh, quite, quite severe discomfort, and sometimes I can be okay for months at a time. It's highly variable. So but I don't I mention guess, it much. And I, if someone can heal that, that for me, that would right. be really cool. So that was sort of the problem. Man, we are trying to get off of this. I'm going to leave this. But what was interesting about this words of knowledge section in Alpha is they did pray for everybody. But nobody in my group claimed instant healing. Matthew, I don't know. No. Okay. So I'll leave it I, I, with only this observation. Atheists can play that game too. Why would anybody be convinced? Yeah. Yeah. Well, psych- uh, psychics actually play that game all the time. Cold reading. Yeah. yeah. They just play the odds. better than me. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um... That's why I chose back, shoulder, and child. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're the safe ones. Yeah. yeah. Going through this list, I I think there are about a third of them. When I was just going through, I was ticking them off mentally in my head. I think it was about a third of them. I probably knew somebody who would probably identify with with one of those. So, yeah, I think with the people that I know, there was a relatively high hit rate on, on those because they just weren't specific enough. OK, one had a, somebody's specific name which that's always a a good thing but then again it's relatively common name you know you know it's possible that everybody knows somebody with that name so it's it's a little bit better but it's still not critical you know if these things aren't nailing down a specific person in a group of people then we i think it's valid to question them yeah and then there was one other thing which concerned me about 
going back to John Wimber when Nicky was talking about John Wimber and he talked about the, the prayer group that um, when he came to his church to do some prayer and that the, the group had prayed beforehand and they'd come up with this list of things and you know, during the meeting they went through every single one on the list until there was just one left and he stood there waiting for somebody to come up and claim that one and it was about a, a woman who was having difficulty conceiving anyway and where my mind went with that one was the cruelty of it making for forcing the situation so that you've got this checklist so that all of them got checked and you're who knows what the words were going out during the service but it was probably right somebody needs to come up and claim this one and somebody needs to claim up on this one and and, and who wants the lower back pain and who wants the, the dodgy knee and it, it was it's almost like um obscene bingo you know the, 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 these are the things that you need to come up and, and get prayed for and we need somebody to be prayed for for each of those and yes i'm painting an unkind color uh, onto this but that's what my mind's eye was painting for me the kind of meeting that it was when nikki was describing that here was this list and they got to go through all of these lists and there was one left on the list and so he stood there and he waited until somebody claimed the last one on the list and uh, that felt cruel to me it felt mm. peer pressured uh, to me it felt almost performancy to me it certainly didn't feel loving at all to me yeah, that's a good point. Why does it have to be public? Why can't it be private? And we know why it has to be public, because it's all about the performance. Right. Yeah, performance and peer pressure. So, moving on, week 10, changing gear quite significantly. We're on the brakes, we've got a bend ahead, we're right down into the low gears. Or are we? Why and how do I tell others? So this is the evangelism episode. And the reason why I mentioned that thing about the pressure is that whole thing about pressure, about pushing people, about keeping on at them until what you want happens is a theme that came out in the evangelism as well. You know, there, there was a couple that were talking about bringing their family into Alpha and they did talk about um, asking regularly the family members to come along and they eventually came along and all this kind of thing that there really was there was um, pressure to conform uh, on that and that came out and i'm linking that same thing to the whole thing about the healing that i've just talked about because it was a theme that ran through those two videos that really jumped out on me and i was saying to uh, andrew and uh, darren not uh, before we went on mic that i'd never really got that from seeing these videos before because this isn't the first time I've watched these videos and I don't know why this theme jumped out at me on these videos but it really did seem to and I I see it as unhealthy I think it is unhealthy in my family and my extended family I'm careful about oversharing here but my girlfriend and I neither of us are believers I have a family member that is going through some life changes and the Christians in the family uh, resent this family member for sharing the crisis that this family member is going through with us. Uh, and when he shares with them, they won't speak to us about it. And here's why. They know that we're not believers and they use this sort of social pressure 
to try to make us join the circle. They keep us, they try to ostracize us. I'm not being too harsh here, I promise. But we just refuse to play the game. Here's another thing that they do. I don't know that this is social pressure, but this is how convinced they are of their own righteousness, this high, uh, why and how to tell others. My family, extended family, when they get together for meals, and we'll do this tomorrow night, they all uh, gather in, you know, one of the large rooms in the house and hold hands and pray, right? And right now, we are going through a who has the baby hide the baby moment, where the Christians try to take my child and have her have somebody hold her in the prayer circle. Uh, knowing that I am vehemently opposed to indoctrinating children into what to think before you teach them how to. And this has come to a head recently. But there is, uh, just to your point, Matthew, Christians are fond of using intense social pressure, and they are very convinced, often more than they should be, of their own rightness. And I find it sometimes to be incredibly intolerable. Yeah, it's completely repugnant. But more more than that, it actually shows that their God doesn't exist. Because if their God existed and was communicating with people, they wouldn't have to use these cult-like men, um, tactics to try to brainwash people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reminds me. Uh, this is this is slightly tangential, but it uh, it came up when I was watching. This is the week ten video. There's an old saying, and you occasionally see Christians defend. Uh, this, this idea that there are no atheists in foxholes. Have, have either of you ever heard that saying? Uh, yeah, across- I scoff every time I hear it. Yeah, I was in the military for six years. I've heard it. I did not know that. Thank you for your service. Um, so here's one of the things that bothers me about that saying. If there are no atheists in foxholes, if that is true, and if it is also true that God willingly accepts any foxhole conversion, right? So God's not willing for anybody to perish, so he always accepts foxhole conversions. Then God has a way out where the devil never wins a single soul. Mm -hmm. He just puts us all in foxholes. There's no need to convert anybody. If that kind of missive, that sort of trite saying is actually true, God's just playing a game because he's got a 100% conversion tool at his disposal. Well, and if he hadn't created the devil in the first place, he wouldn't need it. <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely right. <laughs> um, slightly tangential to the issue of how and why to tell others. But as much as all of that, I think it's the wrong question. If I were a Christian today, I would not be interested in how and why to tell others. I would be interested in which to tell others. There are thousands thousands of Christian denominations in the world. And it is surely the case that they don't all have it right because there are doctrines as different as night is from day. And if you think I'm wrong, uh, go to a Presbyterian church and then go to a Church of Christ church. You will find out that the ends of the spectrum are quite broad and the God of the Church of Christ cannot be the God of the Presbyterians. It's not possible. And so how and why to tell others is a nonsense question to me until you can tell which doctrine you're supposed to share. Yeah, that's the biggest problem I saw with this week's episode is that when you're telling people about it, 
you should be able to, part of that telling should be a demonstration that what you're saying is actually correct. And yet that never came up in the episode. Yeah. It was all it was all about telling people and living a good life and all that, but it never once did it come up, oh yeah, and this is how you demonstrate that what you're saying is actually correct. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy because if a scientist wants to show something, say for example, that the Higgs boson that they've hypothesized is actually something that's a, a real thing, we have to show it. Yeah, the scientists have to show it. They have to build a hunking grade expensive experiment and they have to bring up some data that shows that actually what they've been writing about, what they've been hypothesizing, has some validation. Mm. That's what you do. Yeah. Well, I think they did build a hawking great experiment. It, uh, what was the cathedral in France uh, that that has had some that caught fire? What was? Uh, oh, I've gone and seen that twice now. And, right, oh, what, Notre Dame. The, Notre Dame. Right. So it seems to me that there are some hawking great experiments, like Notre Dame. And um, they just sort of burn down like everything else. <laughs> okay, little, little tongue in cheek. I'm sorry, but it seems to me that the trademarks of Christianity. So I'll go through a couple. Maybe you think the Bible is somehow, you know, living proof in, in a sort of experimental way that God exists. But the book fails at every possible juncture if you take studying. Uh, how it came about seriously, right? So textual criticism, it fails on textual criticism, scientific claims, it fails on scientific claims, it gets geography wrong, it gets acts of nature wrong. There's no category in which it seems to succeed better than other books. Churches. Uh, churches don't last longer than other structures. What, you know, um, well, Christians some, well are, they might not do in your part of the world, but we've got churches that are close to a thousand years old here, so they, they do last extremely well. Right, but you right, also have well, other houses and everything that are that are all that old as well, right? Yes, those that are made of the same material, yes. Right. Well, and and so look, that's a that's a just that's a just critique of what I'm saying. And so I should say one more thing there. Very often we treat churches with kid gloves. We treat them specially. We renovate them. We, you know, we put a lot of money into their upkeep and that sort of thing. And so I, I will backtrack a step or two and say, it may very well be true that as a category of structure, churches last longer than the average. So, so I'm willing to go that far because I, that probably, I don't think that there is a supernatural reason no. that they last longer i think so so that's a, that's a good critique but i'm i'm not aware of any uh, sort of religious artifact or or something objective that we can all evaluate where christianity uh, performs outperforms other things like it right and if christianity if the claims of christianity were true then there should be lots of places where that would happen for example right. the holy ghost I mean, wasn't it just a few episodes ago where they were saying that the Holy Ghost uh, enters your body and you uh, know that Christianity is true because of that? Okay, then why isn't the Holy Ghost entering everyone's body so that they can find out that Christianity is true? Well, pe right. there's people that have uh, suffered sleep paralysis who would believe that they've had an experience that demonstrates that. Well, yeah, but there's also people that have sleep paralysis that believe that they were visited by aliens and probed, so... 
Yeah, I think I'd rather the god on that one. If that's a list of options available. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, I have had sleep paralysis, and my golly, it's a scary thing to go through. It's not something that I would particularly wish to experience again. It was a bit freaky. Yeah, so have I. I have not, and I hope not to have to, because the stories sound awful. I really yeah. do. I haven't had it as an atheist. I had it as a Christian. And when you're attributing a spiritual element to this thing that you're experiencing, I'm pretty sure it's even more scary. Yeah, I've had it. Um, well, because my mom was kind of woo when I was growing up. So I had a phase where I was um, a little woo as well. And so mine was reflection of that. And then I've had it as an atheist. And then I as when I have it as an atheist, I just recognize it for what it is, and I don't have any specific experience other than just it. Yeah, I would imagine it would be the same with me. I, I'm not particularly keen to have it again, but yeah, thank you for confirming that. I don't have a lot more to say about why and how to tell others, except to caution people to be able to verify that the things that they're claiming are true. And... That's a whole show in itself, right? How to, how to know that something is true is a whole show in itself, but we should do a better job. I'd like to um, pick up on some of the positive aspects because we've been quite negative uh, on it lately. And some of the reasons, some of the motivations for people wanting to share their faith is because they have a very positive experience of it. They have something positive that they want to share and they genuinely believe that what they want, that what they are sharing is a positive experience of a loving God and an eternal mm. life of bliss. That is their motivation. It absolutely is. It's, a, it's motivated from that thing that they want that's good rather than something that they fear and that they scare. And I'd like to touch on one of the stories that came up in this, and that's about the lady that rode across the Atlantic for a cause. And <laughs> I absolutely admire people that can do something like that. She saw a need. She was highly motivated to do something about that need. And she strikes me as the kind of person who would probably be of the mentality that she gets something on like that and she really wants to go and see it through. So I want to absolutely say that I genuinely admire people that do that, regardless of what their background is, regardless of whether or not I agree with the things that they believe, because that kind of motivation is something to be admired. But what I saw in her story was somebody who was driven and motivated. I didn't see how in her story, in what she did, where the Christian gods really had a part to play. So I didn't either. She talked about fortitude some, but she also said that they were, if, if I remember, so, so what they were doing was rowing the transatlantic uh, slave route. That's about 3,000 miles, if I remember what she said correctly. Her team was, was all women, uh, but there were other teams, maybe a dozen or so of them. And so she talked about fortitude and seemed to imply that somehow her Christianity played a part in it. She didn't say it outright. But I thought then, and, and I wrote a note, if she's attributing her fortitude to God or Jesus or Christianity or, you know, some sort of life-altering faith, fortitude is not specifically a religious act. No. 
uh, but like you, Matthew, I, I thought it was very admirable. She said when they set out, they were in 50-foot swales. Yeah, in, that sounds scary. Yeah, in what amounts to rowboats. Yep. I mean, they're paddling. I mean, I, okay, maybe they are. I don't know what kind of craft it was, but, but they are rowing in teams. And I don't want to be in 50-foot waves paddling anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, the boat they were the boat they were on was about the width of two people sitting side by side, and about as long for about uh, probably seven or eight to sit. Lengthwise, yeah, so there was only like four or five of to, them um, right. to get out into safety. Wow, that yeah, is. They, yeah, they had a wow. small little cabin at one end on it, where it was like a little pup tent, where maybe two people could sleep at the same time. And it was deep enough. They probably had supplies underneath the seats, but. Yeah, that's just. Yeah. Um, so. I will acknowledge that that takes incredible fortitude, right? It's a brave thing to do. Oh, yeah. But, it was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not taking anything away from that. Like Matthew, I was I was impressed. But. People have fortitude over all kinds of causes. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, so this will this will be, uh, I think, right after Donald Trump was elected. Sorry, not getting on election politics. There was a lawyer in New York City. There's no indication in the news story that he was Christian. He burned himself alive, uh, I believe, in Central Park. So, if, so if you're listening and you want to confirm. Uh, this story. I'm not making this up. He was a member of the LGBTQ community. He was convinced that civil rights were under assault for the LGBTQ community. He's probably right. And he burned himself to death in protest. And so what I'm saying is you might call that crazy, but even so, there aren't a lot of crazy people that burn themselves alive. That takes an act of, of extreme dedication, real fortitude. Not defending the act. I, I would rather him have sought treatment and live. But fortitude is not a specifically religious trait. No. So. I can't imagine how somebody... We need to move subject. The, the thought of that is just terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, you can just... Feel free to cut that if it needs to go. <laughs> so, last episode, week 11, the last video in Alpha, what about the church? And this is what it's all about. Being a Christian, it's, it's about church. This is what it is that you do in order to maintain your faith, in order to maintain your relationships, in order to get uh, fed with encouragement and uh, fortitude, if we can use that word. In, in order to stay the course so on your Christianity and to continue to to live the good life, are either of you going to go to church this weekend? Uh, there's no one sticking a gun in my face, so no. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have. A, I don't. I don't have a line nearly that good. Man, I, um, there. So I'm curious what the two of you think. I have been considering going to church, actually, um, but but not to a traditional church, and but also not to an atheist church. I've been considering going to uh, a universal Unitarian church. There's a, a sort of medium-sized one uh, here in town, 
And the specific reason that I would go is that my child is an only child. And uh, church is a place where there will be other children. And so the, the trade-off would be her getting some socialization that she needs, right? And by the way, not doing it in the, in the moments of, of the global zombie apocalypse. So if you're listening and thinking, oh my God, he's about to put that kid in danger, but no, no, just no. You don't need to write in about it. Not going to happen until the zombie apocalypse is over. I am considering the, the trade-offs between introducing her to religion, even, even at its most benign form, versus socialization that she needs. And I'd like to yeah. hear what you guys think. Your motivations are so much better than mine. I always said to myself, if I found myself being a single man again, and I thought I needed to get a girlfriend quickly, I needed to get one that was probably going to be nicer than others, I might go to church. <laughs> the wolf in the fold. I love it. <laughs> um, Darren, I'm so going to go to hell. That's Oh yeah, man. You're yeah. There's there's a there's a cold dark spot just for you. But here's the good news: all of the girls in church who would have um, uh, who would have joined you in whatever tryst you had planned, they'll be there with you. So <laughs> it's going to be a great corner of hell. I don't know, Darren. What do you think? I think his thought process is just completely nuts. I mean, how did? Christian what, what girls mine? are nicer than others. I'm not entirely sure that's right. Go with what you know. But as to your question, I would say that um, if I, I don't know, I wouldn't go to a church. I would probably go for like a science club or a sports club or whatever your daughter happens to be interested in, because okay. she's going to make better friends if they have some something that they're doing in common. You know the. The reason, so that that's a good point, and it's worth sharing that some of those kinds of things are really hard to find in this part of Georgia. So I agree entirely, and we are con we're actually looking outside the southeast, up in the northeast corridor of the U.S., where there are better education options and more options for secular child get-togethers, like science clubs and, and that kind of thing. But where we are here in the South, uh, it is almost church or nothing. And it is very depressing. Do you guys have the secular clubs like Camp Quest down there? there there's not a Camp Quest. I've actually looked. Um, now, well, let me be careful. I looked last year. It could easily have changed. And she's still quite young right now, right? She's 15 months old, oh, but she is yeah, at the time. age. Yeah, we do. But she is at an age where she needs socialization, right? Now, we, we couldn't go right now if we wanted to because coronavirus is a real concern. And while she'd probably be fine, it, it tends to not strike children too badly. It's, it's a very genetic issue, and we don't have all of that work done yet. Right. So it's possible for coronavirus uh, to be hard, even on the very little. And uh, so it's not a risk that we'd be willing to take. Yeah, plus, but, the, plus the real young ahead. ones, they, they can be carriers. 
never get any yeah, symptoms, right. but still be carriers. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm 52. I need coronavirus. Uh, I need coronavirus like I need to convert to Christianity. Oh, no. It's, it might be worse than that. Uh, so it's, but it is a thing that we're toying with, uh, you know, because church happens regularly. So you see the same people, but there's a huge negative, and that negative is religion. Have you thought about starting your own uh, meetup group? Yes, and in fact, we have uh, we participated uh, in starting an atheist meetup group um, last year, and uh, our friends, somebody that uh, that uh, some of the listeners will have heard, Doug Hawksworth, there, and you, you and I podcasted with Doug. They were uh, sort of doing that with us, and uh, then they left Augusta, and it sort of fell apart. <laughs> so we didn't stick with it. And, uh, well, and I mean, for like, um, for I mean, if the goal is to socialize your daughter, then you don't really need an atheist club, right? You just need parents with children. Give them something interesting to do. Yeah, no, no that's a good point. And we have not really thought about taking that on ourselves, but it is the right kind of solution to the problem. So I'm sort of hoping that we end up out of the Southeast and find a place where somebody else has done all that work. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so, easier when someone else does the work. Right, exactly. I, I just want to show up and have everything done. I mean, I'll pay for it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll be, <laughs> so, uh, so there we are. Um, appreciate the feedback, though. Um, so I don't know why anyone would be convinced to go talk about the church looking at it from this side. I don't know why God needs human beings. I really don't. And I don't just mean need human beings to spread Christianity to other, to other human beings. I mean, I don't know why God needs humans. Maybe we're just a video game. So long as it's not well, Minecraft. <laughs> maybe maybe we are i'm not debating you over that idea anymore the last time i did that with uh with doug i think i took a trouncing so uh staying away from staying away from you and artificial intelligence and anything like it so uh so there we are but i i really don't i i don't understand what the attraction is to religion from this side of the line I think it's a lot of it is community. I mean, when like uh, in week 11, uh, they were talking about what the church is. And the first thing they said is church is all about having community. Um, you know, having making sure your children have friends to play with, making sure that you have people that believe the same things you do that you're hanging out with and having barbecues with and, you know, going shopping with. Yeah, and so I... I should have acknowledged that I did just go through that, right? And then I said, I don't know what the attraction of Christianity is, but but I didn't mean socially, to be fair. And I, I think you're right. Oh, so yeah. the social component is spot on. Right? Yeah, I agree with you. If you're if we're taking out the social aspect of it, then I have no clue what the appeal of it is either. Yeah, and there are so many yeah. other things that offer that as well. You know, go to a camera club, or which I used to do, or they go to join an acting group like I currently do, although okay, we're waiting to see whether or not we can actually put on another production, join a car club. There are so many other things to do. If you've got a singing voice, which I don't, join a choir. 
the the options are available and if you're in a small town maybe they're not quite as many options but they're certainly options and I don't know if I've said this before. So I've well, sorry, I know I've said this before. I'm just not sure if I've said it here on Still Unbelievable before. But one of the things that I've heard from some of my Christian friends about the effects of lockdown on church, you know, not going to church, is there are people who have realised that they found the experience of going to church not as relaxing and as communal as they thought they once did, and they've realised that they're less stressed at lunchtime on a Sunday and they've realized that they used to come back from church on a Sunday stressed or wound up over maybe some of the individuals that they come across or some of the politics that's going on within the church because churches have those things too and they find that the whole routine of doing a big lunch and keeping away from from the family on a Sunday afternoon, getting everybody, I'm talking women specifically in this example, sending everybody out of the kitchen and so they shut themselves in the kitchen and they spend an hour and a half, whatever it is, focusing on doing a really good family lunch. But for other people, it might be something else that they do. But they realise that this post-church period of focus is unwinding from the stress that's been loaded onto them. And so this line that church is wonderful, church is community, church all those people. It's not always true. And there's many people that it's not true at all. And we need to be aware of those people as well. You know, if you're a churchgoer, if you really believe in the community of church, who are the people who are going home really stressed after church? Who are the people that the church experience isn't relaxing, isn't about community, that it's actually... A terrible experience for them but they feel that they are committed so they must go but they're going home really really stressed and the cost of that stress is they shut themselves away from their family for the next hour so that they can focus on something else so they can wind down it happens and lockdown has made that very much aware for quite a lot of people so if you're selling me the line that church is a wonderful place of community okay it might be for some people but is it for everybody and will it be for me? And I think it's not really a wonderful place for everyone either because churches have weaponized that sense of community where they control your information bubble and they are able to apply peer pressure to make people believe and do things fall in line, you know, and then exert control by threatening to remove you from the church and you know, block you off from all your, 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 your friends and family. And so I, I'm not entirely sure that the church community is necessarily healthy overall, even for those people that actively enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. There might be one small group. Uh, well, actually, I don't, I don't think it's all that small. Uh, sadly, the numbers have, have gone up quite a lot during coronavirus. Um, domestic violence is on the rise around the world right now. And, and it's on the rise because abusers and victims find themselves together during the days of coronavirus more than they would under other circumstances when, when we're completely opened up and we're not facing a global pandemic. And it is probably the case that there are uh, victims, both men and women, who find some solace in being able to get out of the house and go to church because um, after all, how many abusers just, you know, how many abusers object to church, right? Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, maybe the number 
is, uh, well, I have no idea what the number is, but abusers will sometimes let their significant others off to church, right? Because it's perceived to be a safe way to let them out of the house. If you're a, if you're a person suffering domestic violence, none of what we said applies to you. We want you to be safe. We want you to find a way out. And if church is the place where you can do that, then that is what it is. And I don't want to cast um, shade uh, on someone in that kind of circumstance. Church is not great for everybody. If you happen to be one of the others, and, and I, don't, I don't say that in any, in any dismissive way, uh, if you are someone for whom church works because your life circumstances cause you to need church for safety, I support that. And I hope you find another way to be safe about it. <laughs> so uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, but again, that's a social service, isn't it? Providing, providing safety. Um, that, that would be a social service and not a religious, um, uh, not a specifically religious action. So, uh, you know, I, I would be fine if, uh, if we found ourselves in the future in a world uh, where if you love church, okay, fine, but you don't feel like uh, you don't feel like you have to come and shout at us about it, because I see no good reason to think that any of it is uh, is valuable beyond the social. Yeah, it's one of those things that even the Bible it contradicts what Nikki was saying this week eleven, because he was saying that the church was. God's intention to bring all humanity together. And yet, Jesus said specifically that he didn't come to bring peace but division. And the whole Tower of Babel story is about God not wanting people to be able to come together and cooperate. Uh-huh. I mean, that was the whole whole reason that he changed uh, their languages so that they couldn't come together and, and accomplish great things. What so a strange that, God, right? No, so it's just another one of those ways that the Christian message that people like Nikki are promoting is directly contradicted by the Bible that they are claiming to get the message from. Well, yeah, it certainly does seem that uh, there are times where there's a bit of a conflict in the message going on, depending on where you receive it from. I don't know that I have a lot more to say about church. You know, uh, I, I can see some social benefits. I try not to deny those. I really think the social benefits have to be very carefully weighed uh, against the idea of teaching people to think magically about the world that we live in. In fact, the fundamental mission of a great many churches is sort of to get us to dismiss this life in hopes of a future one. And I cannot imagine a more destructive message than to teach people to hope for a future that in all likelihood simply doesn't exist. There's no good reason to think that there's a heaven out there, that there's a God out there, that there's a devil, most certainly not an all-loving God. And once you come to that realization, um, all bets are off. What possible good other than social could come from church and i want a world where we don't have to make that decision and that pretty much draws to an end all that we've got to say any final thoughts from anybody else 
I think my only final thought is that I honestly don't understand how anyone can go through the Alpha course and come out the other side a Christian. I know they've got stories of people doing that, but I just don't understand it. Maybe it's just because I've read the Bible and so, or the Christian Bible, and so I I know what it actually says about a lot of the things that Nikki's making claims about. Maybe it's because I know how reality works, so I know where Nikki's claims don't match up with reality. I don't know. It's just, as an outsider looking in, I just don't get it. I never understood why people were Christian beforehand, before going into Alpha, and I still have no clue why they're Christian after coming out of Alpha. I walked away from Alpha with the same feeling. Alpha confirmed for me why I'm not a Christian. Counting the hits, ignoring the misses. My favorite phrase that you used today before in the run-up to the show before we started recording, Darren, is uh, motivated thinking. Uh, that's a great phrase. The Christian, the whole Christian mission is both unintentional motivated thinking, like, uh, like hoping that miracles are true, and explicitly teaching people to use motivated thinking to privilege Christianity over everything else. And if you are listening and you think that we've gotten it wrong, I hope you mail into us because this conversation isn't over. It, it can't be over until the tension between skepticism and religion is gone from the world. And that tension can't be eliminated until we can agree on what the world looks like and what rules we use to determine what things are true and what things are not. So if you disagree, this is an open, kind, genuine invitation to come on and tell us what you think, tell us why you think we're wrong, and let's have that conversation. Alpha didn't do it for me. And surprise, surprise, it's much the same for me as well. I was hoping for something that would challenge me. I was hoping for something that would stop and make me think a little bit more deeply. That didn't happen for me. And that was my biggest disappointment in Alpha. Not that I've walked away unconvinced. I'm not overly surprised by that, but I am surprised and disappointed that I didn't face the challenge that I was hoping to be exposed to. So that's my disappointment uh, in summary over the whole experience. Maybe that will come from somewhere else. I will keep on looking. Just to remind you of what I said at the beginning of the episode, if you have thoughts, you want to view being on an alpha, do you have different opinions on an alpha? Did an alpha convince you? Or was it something else that tugged you along and alpha just planted the seed? Whatever your position on that, if you want to, if you have a, an opinion, have a voice that uh, you want and you want others to hear it, Drop us a line, reasonpress at gmail.com. We'll have you on and we'll have a different conversation about Alpha and we'll see where that goes. We have other episodes that we're doing about other things. And if you have an idea of another course that's been going on that might challenge us differently to Alpha, again, send that on and we shall see you at the next episode. Cheerio. You have been listening to a podcast by Reason Press. To get in touch, email reasonpress at gmail.com or see our website, reasonpress.net, where you'll also find our book, Still Unbelievable. We welcome more feedback and you might even end up on an episode. 
Our theme music was written for us by Holly. You can hear more of her music at soundcloud.com slash hollybishop. You can support us by buying some of Holly's music and telling her we sent you.